Good morning, Inspire Church. Aren't you excited to be here? Welcome to our online audience. Everyone that's watching us online, we want to welcome you wherever you're watching. We know that many of you would love to be here with different circumstances, or maybe you're across the country or across the world. We're so thankful that you would join us. And uh, I'm going to jump right into the text today because I have a lot to preach in a little time to do it. Amen. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And my name is Pastor Andrew. Um, I'm so excited to be able to bring the word this morning. I'm honored. Let me tell you something. I'm honored, but I'm a little upset. Because Papa's been, Pop, Pastor has been preaching so good. Come on, how many of you have been enjoying this series? Pastor has been preaching, I mean, lights out. This covenant series has been life-changing. And then you have one of the best preachers on the planet, Bishop Tudor Bismarck, with us last Sunday. Come on, let's give it up for Bishop T. And now I, I got to follow that. And so I'm a, little, I'm a little upset. I'm honored, but I'm a little upset. I got to follow these two great men that I look up to. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best this morning. And I'm, I'm confident in the word of God. And I, I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity. And I'm going to be con- uh, staying in this series, God Covenants in You. But this morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, the God of more than enough grace. Come on, say the God of more than enough grace. Let's read, a, let's read our text and then we'll dive into this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted. Concerning this thing, listen to this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it may depart from me. And he said to me, my grace, someone say my grace, is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness, therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, and needs, and persecutions, and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am, come on, let's say that one more time like we had breakfast. For when I am weak, I am strong. Father, we thank you for your word today. Let your word go forth in truth and in power. So pastor has been speaking to us about covenants, and um, man, this this has been a blessing to me the last few weeks. Just diving into this, and uh, I want to start off by just reiterating a few things that Pastor said. If we are going to really understand the scriptures, I would even go as far to say this. If we're actually going to correctly, not only read, but correctly interpret the scriptures, we have got to look at the scriptures through the lens of covenant. Because you see, from Genesis to Revelation, we are reading scripture, right? But we are reading scripture concerning a God who makes covenants, right? And a people who have a covenant with God. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible, I almost picked up my laptop like I had a Bible. This Bible that we have, how many know that it's a Jewish book? And what I mean by that is this, is that it is written that we are reading the history of God's interaction with Israel and mankind, but we are predominantly in the scriptures reading God's interaction with Israel and the Jewish people. So there is a, even a context for the Bible. 
And one of the predominant themes throughout all of scripture is covenant. And, and, and so if we miss the covenant piece, we are actually missing a big piece of the puzzle. And so when you approach the Bible with a covenant lens, you realize, wow, God really is a covenant God. God, this is how God operates. God doesn't operate outside of covenant and God has a covenant with his people. Say amen. I mean, just trust me when I tell you the Bible will begin to open up to you in so many ways. Um, little stuff. I mean, think about it like this. Just even the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you're the light of the world, right? This little light of mine, right? Do you know what Jesus was actually doing? He was reminding them of their covenant responsibility. Because when God called Israel, he told them that they would be a light to the nations. He told them, you will be a light to the Gentiles. And by the way, can I, let me let you in on another cool Bible fact. Guess what Gentile means? Gentile does not just mean not Jewish. Gentile means out of covenant. So what, what, what he's saying is this, is that you are, Israel, you have a calling on your life as my covenant people to be a light amongst the nations. The word is Gohim, it is Gentile, those who don't know me and are far from me because it was always God's intention to bring the nations in. And so that's just one verse. I mean, so you see that covenant is woven throughout the Bible. And a pastor has been demonstrating to us uh, through some illustrations, how covenants were made in different ways they were uh, made, you know, the, with the animals and the, and the figure eight and the walking. Um, not only that, they would oftentimes, and he's explained this, I'm just reviewing it. A lot of times when covenants were made, they would exchange clothing, amen? They would exchange robes. They would uh, exchange belts. They would ex- exchange all different types of stuff. They would even enter into oaths of blessing or covenants with each other and Depending on the covenant, they would do different things. And some of this is foreign to us, but covenants have been important throughout history. And just this week, Pop had sent me this story of David Livingston. How many of you have ever heard of David Livingston, the great Scottish missionary to Africa? When David Livingston got to Africa, he encountered a a, a tribal chief. And in order for David Livingston to do ministry there, he actually, how the situation arose, the chief said, we need to come into covenant. And the chief said, look, give me a goat and I'll give you a spear. And David Livingston, you got to understand, this is back in the day and it's still this way today in Africa. He needed the goat because that's how he would get milk and cheese. You know, it, it, it was, he needed it. And so David Livingston said, okay, I'll give you the goat. And the the chief gave him the spear and David Livingston thought, what am I going to do with this? Right? I don't need the spear. I need the goat. And then the tribal chief cut his arm and then he cut David Livingston's arm. And he actually entered a blood covenant with this tribe. And so David, uh, 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 David Livingston goes about his ministry. And so one day he's, he's out in the bush or out bringing the gospel and a tribe of warriors attacks him. And they go to kill him, and then they see his spear and his scar. They immediately recognize the covenant, and they lay down his arms. By the end of David Livingston's life, he had did this with so many different tribes, 
One day they came to David Livingston's hut and they found him praying and they said, okay, let's not disturb him. He's praying. But after a while, they said, hey, man, this guy's been praying a while. We got to go. They wanted to invite him to go bring the gospel to another tribe. And when they went to uh, disturb him from prayer, they realized he had passed away while he was praying. He closed his eyes in prayer and he opened his eyes in heaven. How cool is that? But listen to this. When they took his body, they have found 50 scars where he had entered covenant with tribes all over this, this region in Africa where he had brought the gospel. And when it came to, when, when the news got back to England that he had passed away, the Queen of England actually, actually sent a ship to bring his body back. But do you know what the tribal people said? They said, look, you can have his body, but his heart needs to be buried here. So they took his heart out of his body and buried it in Africa and they sent his body back to England But the the African tribes carried his body a thousand miles to board the ship to send it back to England. And so David Livingston's life, throughout his life, he carried the scars from all of the covenants he made with the tribes. it's, It's foreign to us. And I'm getting to, I'm going somewhere. It's foreign to us because we live in a time where covenant is less and less valued. But covenants have been a a big part of our history as a people. Amen. And so sometimes whenever covenants would be made, these drastic measures would be taken. Like the sacrificing of animals, the exchanging of robes. Maybe even something like what David Livingston did with the tribe. Sometimes it's a blood covenant. Hey, we've got to exchange something. But throughout the Bible, you will also see this, that. Many times when a covenant was made, there was also a covenant meal. Amen. Um, There would even be extreme measures like the exchanging of sons. Sometimes whenever you would make a covenant, you would actually exchange a son. I take your son and raise him as mine and I will give you my son and you raise him as yours. That's part of the reason why I believe when God came to Abraham and said, I need you to give to me Isaac. Even though on the inside, Abraham didn't want to do this, this was covenant language. Abraham understood that there is covenant being made. Amen? But you see, we live in a time where covenant is being less and less valued. How many of you know that's true? But once you begin to realize that the Bible can only be unlocked through covenant, you start to see it through different eyes. And here's where I want to pick up on grace today. Something that pastor mentioned a few weeks ago. See, the whole point of covenant is that, like in the demonstration, is that we would be face to face. Someone say face to face. That we would walk together. That I would have your back, you would have my back. The whole point of covenant is to bring together. But pastor hit on something that is so crucial. As a Christian... If you are not rooted in this understanding that, co- that God has made a covenant with you, you will constantly live in fear, not only of your salvation, but whether you are in God's good graces or not. Okay. Because we live in a Facebook 
friend world where we think a, fa- a, f- a Facebook friend is what a real friend is, we have lost the ability to understand covenant. We only think transactionally or situationally. We think that every time we, we do something wrong or don't live up to the end of the bargain, that God goes, you know what? I can't deal with you today. You're out of the covenant. And then the next day you're back in. And then the next day you're out. That's not how God works. When God made a covenant with you, he made a covenant with you. And this covenant is not easily broken. I'm not saying you can't walk away from covenant with God. I think, obviously, I believe you can. What I'm saying is it's harder to get out of this covenant than you know. Because this is a blood covenant. Because, see, when God thinks about our relationship with him, he thinks in terms of covenant. And you see... For God, he has paid a heavy price to ransom you and I. How many of you know that's true? Say amen. So do you think that God would send his son, allow his son to be crucified and bleed and die for our sins, bring us into a covenant, and every time you make a mistake, say, okay, I'm going to kick you out. Or, hey, today you're not, you're not living up to a certain standard, so I'm going to stop loving you. Today you didn't hit the mark, so you're not a part of the covenant today. That's not how God works. When God brings you into the covenant, he is going to keep that covenant. Stick with me. I'm going somewhere. Stick with me. You'd be surprised how many Christians live in fear and anxiousness and anxiety over, oh my God, I messed up or I, I failed here or I'm, I'm weak here or I've done this. Does God love me? Does God still intend good for me? Am I still in God's graces? <laughs> but here's the good news, beloved. I want to tell you some good news. The new covenant that you and I are a part of, the covenant's foundation is not based upon your behavior or my behavior. It's based upon the behavior of Jesus Christ. This covenant is held together by a word that we use so often, but I think failed to grasp the fullness of what it is. This covenant that you and I are a part of, it's a, we are a part of a covenant of grace. Turn your neighbor and say grace. Come on, say grace. Once you understand, like the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ, Christ didn't wait for us to measure up. He measured up for us. He gave himself for us. Everything in this covenant first comes by way of grace. He gave us his weapons. He gave us his blood. He gave us his name. He gave us the sword of the, war, of, of the word of God. He even swore by himself to keep this covenant. Someone say grace. You see, because when we come into the new covenant, if we're not careful, religion will lie to us. Because, see, religion will give you all of these hurdles you have to jump through and all of these things that you have to do so that you feel worthy of covenant or that you feel like you've achieved enough to be in covenant with God. But it's like 
the old quote from Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you've ever read that book or seen any of those films. There's a quote from there. It hit it right on the money. He said, John Bunyan said this. He said, run, John, the law commands, but gives me neither legs nor hands. The law commands me to run, but gives me no power to do so. But how sweet a grander news the gospel brings because it bids me fly and gives me wings. Because when you are in covenant with God, he takes your weakness and gives you his strength. He takes your unrighteousness and gives you his righteousness. He takes your inabilities and empowers you with the grace that you need. Are you tracking with me today? But the truth of the matter is, and we're going to see this. I got I, already running out of time. I got to speed this up. It's actually always been about grace. Our hope was always only going to be grace. Something that we recently stumbled upon in the scriptures, and I've read it many, many times, but me and Pop have been having this discussion in the last few weeks about this. I've read it so many times, but for some reason it clicked in a fresh way. I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that in the old covenant, there was only provision and forgiveness of sin that was done in weakness or unintentionality. Let me say that again. There was only provision for sin that was done in weakness or unintentionality. For example, if two men were chopping wood in the forest and the ax head would fly off and strike the other man and he died, there was provision for that. But if he deliberately picked up an ax and struck his neighbor and killed him, There was no forgiveness for that because it was intentional. Under Moses' law, it was required that he be executed. So under the old covenant, even though there was a measure of grace, someone say a measure of grace, a measure of mercy, it had limitations. Because there were certain sins under the law of Moses where God said, look. There's atonement for these sins, but if you commit this sin, it's an eye for an eye. It's a tooth for a tooth. If you commit this sin, there's got to be restitution. If you commit this sin, you're put to death. Someone say grace. Yet, we get a glimpse, in the, even in the old covenant, even under a measure of grace and mercy, we, are, we get a glimpse... Into a day that's coming that's much greater. How many of you remember the story of when David had Uriah killed? This is a fascinating story because David is the king, and we know the story. Uh, for those of you who don't know it, I'm going to just run through it quickly. David uh, is typically at war, but he's at home this time, and his men are out fighting, and David's on his on his you know penthouse. Jerusalem condo and he looks over and he sees Bathsheba and we know the story he ends up committing adultery with her but it gets worse than this because of the circumstances he he has to find a way to get rid of Uriah so he actually has Uriah sent to the front lines where Uriah is killed Now, here's the problem. 
David has just committed a sin that under the law of Moses doesn't have atonement. Check this out. In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices to to, to atone for sins done in ignorance or through weakness. But deliberate premeditated transgressions were a more serious category. Like we see in Leviticus 6, 10, Numbers 15, Numbers 16. Either had to make restitution or be put to death. For example, violating the Sabbath or cursing one's parents. So when David premeditatedly committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her cousin, her husband killed. Remember what David said, you do not desire sacrifice or I would give it. One of the reasons why David said that is because actually there wasn't a sacrifice that could atone for what he did. By revelation, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a a contrite heart. David knew that no sacrifice could atone for what he did. And he could only do like the other Old Old Testament believers who committed such sins. He could only cast himself on God's mercy. David. We all, knew, we all knew David blew it, but I don't think we've ever stopped to think about it, that this sin he committed was, a, was different because it, represent, it was in a category where there was technically no atonement. So David had to cast, his, cast all that he was upon God's mercy, and he actually found mercy and grace in God's sight. But David had a revelation. That's why he said, I'm not going to offer, you don't, you don't require sacrifices for this because actually there's no sacrifices. There's not enough sacrifices. There's not enough bulls, goats, lambs, chickens, goats, doves, whatever that can, I said chickens. I was just kidding. There's not enough sacrifices that can atone for everything I've done. You're looking for something greater than this. It's still kind of a mystery, but, but David, through revelation and through grace, tapped into, even in his era, he was able to tap into attributes of God. And he was able to model for us what New Testament grace looks like. So not only did David, do we see a picture of of grace in his life. I want to show you something else. But before I do, let me just give you some good news today. We are no longer in that covenant, in in, in the new covenant that you and I are a part of. Listen to what 1 John 1 verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And listen to this. And cleanse us from all. Hold on, let me say that. Say all. That means sins committed in weakness, sins committed in ignorance, sins committed unintentionally in the things that we have done that we knew we shouldn't have done, the things that were wrong and we intentionally violated. In this covenant where the sacrifices of the old could only go so far, the precious blood of Jesus that was spilled, there's no sin that's too great for the blood of Jesus. So David t- 
taps into prophetically even a realm of grace. I, I, we could go through several instances in the stories where we could show you. Like, for instance, when David goes in and eats the showbread, he should not have been allowed to do that. I don't have time today, but you see prophetically because of his office and, and, and what he was carrying, he was actually tapping into something that was actually way beyond his day. But David, not only, not only do we see a picture of grace, David understood covenant. Someone say covenant. You'll remember that when David and Jonathan, they were best friends, right? Listen to what it says. Remember, David and Jonathan were not Facebook friends. They were real friends. Listen to this. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, 1 Samuel 18, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David, listen to this, made a covenant. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David. With his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So here we see a covenant being made. And like pastors explained, this is one of the things that they would do. They would exchange garments. They would exchange weapons. But here's what's so crazy about this story. In my opinion, Jonathan does not get enough credit in the Bible like he deserves. You understand that Saul, his father, is the king, but he recognizes the anointing on David. He recognizes, David, you're the one God's anointed and chosen. He makes a covenant with David. It's crazy. While his father's still king, Saul is starting to get jealous. And very shortly from here, Saul's going to start throwing spears at David. But Jonathan loves David and David loved Jonathan. They actually enter a covenant. But listen to this. When they exchange garments, this is not like an equal exchange. Jonathan is the son of a king. He's wearing, I don't know, what's a, what's a good Italian brand? Jonathan's wearing Versace. He's wearing Brioni. He's wearing whatever. He's the, he's the son of the king. He's got on some nice garments. He's not just got any sword. He's got like a sword that was made from Saul's personal armorer. David's sitting there and David's in some shepherd's gar- garments. David smells like sheep. Da- <laughs> Jonathan comes to David and says, let's make a covenant. Let's see, so David gets these, these incredible garments and weapons and stuff handed to him. But David doesn't have anything to exchange. He's like, you want my shepherd's garments? This is a prophetic picture of what Christ did to us. When Christ found us, our rags were filthy. Our rags were so unclean. They were dirty. And Christ said, you know what? Why don't you take my, my Versace, my Brioni, my spotless robes, my robes of righteousness, and I'm going to make an exchange with you. But stick with me. So this is even, even in this, we're seeing prophetic parallels. But years later, check this out. Years later, or sometime later, Jonathan is actually killed in battle. Jonathan is killed in battle with Saul. And we know that David grieved over this, but listen to this. 
Years later, though, when David is king and he's actually on the throne. This is what 2 Samuel chapter 9 says. It says, now David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Listen to this, that I might show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Someone said, talk about it. Can I talk about it? This is what's incredible about the life of David. Not only is David tapping into revelation beyond his day, David is getting a revelation and actually modeling some of this. In David's life, we're seeing godly attributes. As, as wicked as he was at times, David was modeling something. And so David, it was, was crazy as a couple of chapters before this, God makes a covenant with David. I'm paraphrasing and basically says, David, your seat is going to sit on the throne forever. I mean, David's getting grace upon grace. David's getting stuff he so doesn't deserve now. It's not, it's not even funny. But listen, he gets a covenant. So, but, but listen, watch this attribute. He turns and in 2 Samuel 9 says this, is there anyone left of Saul's house that I can be kind to for Jonathan's sake? Because David, even though he's king and he could have got busy and he could have said, I'm going to move on. He, he didn't forget the past. He said, I made a covenant with Jonathan. And listen to what they said. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David and said, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Let me paraphrase what I think is happening. God has been kind to me. Is there anyone left in Jonathan's house? Because I want to show the kindness of God to them. Because of covenant. And Ziba says to the king, listen to this. There is still a son of, of, of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Micah, the son of em- Emiel. Then King David said, sent and brought, David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah and the son of Emiel. Now, when his name is Mephibosheth. Now that's a mouthful. When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had came to David, he fell on his face prostrated before him. And David said, Mephibosheth. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your grandfather. And yet you shall eat bread at my table continuously. Now listen, Mephibosheth said this, he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dog as I? Mephibosheth is overwhelmed because the king has called him in and said, I'm going to restore everything that's been taken from your family. Not only that, you're going to eat at my table. Come on, I'm going to preach for five minutes that I got left. And the king called to Ziba, listen, but, but when Mephibosheth said, who am I that you're mindful of me? Basically, he said, I'm a dog. David didn't respond. He looked right to the servant 
And he said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. Remember, he was lame. He couldn't walk. He said, you guys are going to work the land. I'm giving him the land. You're going to work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat at my table always. Someone say always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall, he says it a third time, he shall eat at my table, listen to this, like one of my king's sons. Like one of the king's sons. David says this over and over and he ends up with saying, listen, Mephibosheth is going to sit at my table as if he's my son. You see, I've preached this before, but I I came to remind someone today, mercy and grace are related, but they are not the same thing. In this story, this is so incredible because what we're doing is we're seeing how covenant works. And in David's life, he's actually showing to us what God has actually done for us. Because what happens is when David comes into power, you have to understand it's the custom of a king to eliminate any of the family that's been in power before. How many know this is true throughout history? If David wanted to, he could have he could have not he could have had him expelled from the land. Or you know what? If he wanted to, he could have been like, hey, he's he can't walk, he's not gonna do me any harm. Just let him be. He said, No, 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 that's not gonna work. I made a covenant. Bring Mephibosheth to me. Mephibosheth comes and he says, Listen, you're gonna get, because of who your dad was, you're gonna get everything that was taken from that house. Not only that, Mephibosheth, you're going to sit at my table. So let me explain this to you. What you're seeing on display is mercy and grace. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. However, grace is something different. Grace is getting more than you deserve. Let me put it like this. Mercy is when you're a kid and you've been bad all day and your mama should whoop your butt. And your mama turns to you and say, out of mercy, I'm not going to whip you today. That's mercy. Grace is when your mother says, I'm not only going to not whip you, I'm going to give you something you haven't earned. I'm going to give you something you haven't deserved based upon your behavior. You deserve a whooping, but you're going to get mercy. But guess what? I'm going to take you to the toy store and I'm going to let you choose a toy. Then I'm going to take you to get some pizza. And then I'm going to top it off and give you some ice cream. That's called grace. Because mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get something that you not only don't deserve, you will never deserve. That you can never earn. That you can never have access to unless God decides to give it to you. 
See, some of you, when you got saved, listen, you need to hear me right now. This is going to click for somebody. Some of you have been saved so long, you're only focused on what God has saved you from. You don't even realize that God has saved you for something. You knew he saved you from hell, but listen to me. You think that he did all of this just to save you from hell? No, that's just the beginning. He saved you from something so that he could put you in something. And that something is a place called grace. You are... Listen, listen, that place is called grace. He said, I've put you right into an inheritance that you didn't work for. I put you in an inheritance that you didn't earn. I put you in an inheritance that you could actually never qualify for. But you know what I love about this? He says, he says, y'all till the land for him, harvest the crops. Cause obviously he can, he's, he's lame, he's crippled. He can't walk. He says, but put them at my table. Here's what I love about this story. When Mephibosheth is lame and crippled, so they have to carry him to the king. Which is usually the condition most of us are in. How many of you had to be carried to Jesus? No, hold on. I mean, for real, think about it. Mama had to pray and fast for years. Somebody had to trick you and drag your butt to church. Somebody had to just hassle you and talk to you for years. But when you came to Jesus, you weren't in good shape. You had to be carried. You couldn't walk. You, you're like that man in the, I think it's Luke chapter 14, or you're like the man in the, the, the story of the gospels. They had to tear the roof open for you and let you down because you couldn't even get to Jesus by yourself. But listen, he comes to Jesus. I mean, uh, uh, Mephibosheth comes to David and David says, sit at my table. Do you understand that when Mephibosheth is sitting at the table, you can't see his lameness anymore. When he's seated at the table, he looks like everybody else. That means David's other son, his other son, his other son. And when he's sitting across for the table, listen, the king's table is covering his weakness. I got some news for somebody and I came to tell you something today. Let me, let me tell you something. You're at the table, not because you earned it. You're, you're at the table because of his grace. But not only that, because you're, you have come to covenant, God says, not only am I going to bring you to a covenant that you don't deserve, I'm going to cover your weaknesses where you're weak. I'm strong. You couldn't walk in me. You're going to, you're going to start running what you couldn't do before because you're in covenant with me. I'm going to supply all of your needs according to my riches and mercy in Christ Jesus. God's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. But you see, We can't boast about being at this table. That's the, that's the mistake the disciples made when they were at the table of Jesus. You can't boast about being at the table because you were carried there by grace. And look, grace carried you there. Grace is the thing that's going to keep you there. And God says, if you're in covenant, as long as you stay in covenant with me, wherever there's a lack in your life, where there's been shame. Do you know Mephibosheth when he came before David? He said, who am I? I'm just a dog. I, I had to be carried in here. In other words, let me put it like this. I don't have nothing to offer you. I can't do nothing for you. I don't have anything worth taking. Who am I? He says, you're sitting at my table. 
You see, that's how we came. We didn't have anything to bring. What could we bring? God just, listen, let me put it this way. God just wanted you. And he said, listen, don't, 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 don't get caught up in trying to take credit for it. Don't wonder about why you're here. I'll tell you why you're here right now. You're here because I called your name. Like the disciples, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Anything that you've brought into this covenant, any weakness, any debilitating factor, any, any, anything that you have struggled with, anything that you have carried is no match for the grace of the king. Are you with me this morning? I have to, I have to close. I have to close. This reminds me so much of when the disciples were at the table with Jesus. Which, by the way, let me, let me say something real quick as the, as the band comes. You know what I love about this, too? When Jesus shows up on the scene, one of the things that, that Jesus does that upsets the Pharisees so much is the Bible says that he's having dinner with sinners. And I love that we talked about this so much that when covenants are made, it's often made over a meal. And so I love that he's dining with sinners because what Jesus is really doing is, is he's saying, listen, I'm inviting you to sit at my table. I'm inviting you into a life that's greater than your sin. I'm inviting you into a life that's greater than anything you've ever known. I didn't wait for you to find this. I came and I sat with you. Do you understand that when Jesus is eating with sinners, by the very fact that his face is towards him, he's showing them grace. We pray it every time. May his face, may God cause his face to shine upon you. That means this, that when they were sitting across the table from Jesus, even while they were in sin, Jesus said, I'm going to have a meal to you. I'm not here to coddle your sin. I'm not here to tell you what you're doing is okay. I'm not doing none of that. What I'm doing is I'm inviting you to a table. I'm inviting you into a meal that you don't deserve. Because when he was sitting with his disciples at Passover, he said, listen, this is the blood. He said, I have longed to have this meal with you. This bread and this wine, because this wine represents the blood of my covenant. And isn't it amazing that when Jesus is having another meal and he's making another covenant, because he says, this is the new covenant, right? At the Passover, he says, here, this is the blood of my covenant, which is for the forgiveness and the remission of sin for many. I love it because... It's crazy that this is Jesus' last night on earth. I don't know about you. If it's my last night on earth, I'm not spending it with these guys. For real though. I'm, I'm being serious. I don't care how good or cool they were. If it's my last night on earth, I don't want to spend it with 12 men and wash their feet. No, I'm being, I mean, if it's my last night on earth, I'm like, hey, I want my family to take me to my best, my favorite restaurant. And, and let's go to a show and let's watch the sunset or let's do something cool. But see, it was Jesus's last night on earth and he knew it. And how did he choose to spend his last night? Washing the feet of men at a table. Washing the feet of men who didn't deserve to be at the table. But he said, 
He, and that's why he had to always remind him, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I know you guys think you're all that in a bag of chips. Yo, you think you're going to sit at my right hand. You think you're going to sit at my left hand. You're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. The truth is you couldn't afford to sit at this table. It costs too much to sit at this table. It's more than you're willing to. You can't. You can call it. Hey, Elon can buy Twitter, but he can't buy your ticket at this table. And he washes their feet that night and he says, a new covenant I'm going to make to the blood in my body. He even, he, Judas even got his feet washed. Jesus is last night on earth and he's washing Judas's feet, knowing he's about to leave and betray him for 30 pieces of silver. The point is this. They were all there because of grace. And I want to close today by telling you and reminding you and encouraging you in something. You didn't arrive here by your own works. You came because he called your name. Okay, but beyond sin, let me say this. Beyond sin, Jesus can deal with sin. But wherever your imperfections are, your weaknesses, God knows we have them. It got real quiet and... See, because the covenant's not just about dealing with sin. It is. The covenant's about what you're becoming and who he's called you to be. And God said, I got stuff. And there's 12 men sitting at that table. And there's no way they can do what they need to do in their own strength. But God says, I got you covered. My body's going to be beaten. My blood is going to be spilled. I've got grace upon you. I've got grace upon grace upon grace for you. I've got what you need, what you lack. And so here, 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 here I've come to speak to someone today. Number one, you need to understand If you're not at the covenant, if you haven't come to the covenant today, you need to come. He's calling your name. But if you're in the covenant and you find yourself like Mephibosheth and you're saying, I'm here, but I don't feel worthy to be here. I don't feel good enough to be here. I don't, I don't feel special like everyone else around me. I got these handicaps. There are things that have happened in my life. I'm bruised. I'm broken. I'm battered. Does the king want me? Listen, I'm here to tell you this. Jesus wants you. Jesus calls you. In fact, the people that he uses the most tend to be the people that have been the most broken because too much has been given to those who have been forgiven much, to those who have been loved much. Oh, come on, somebody. I don't care what you've come to the table with. The king's got grace for you. Amen. Would you stand with me to your feet? I'll I'll even go a step further than this. Even as far as you grow, you're actually never going to feel like you fully arrived. There's always going to be that component, even in our maturity, where we always recognize, I can't do this without him. Not only could I not come here without him, I can't sustain this without him. I can't do this without him. And so listen, sometimes Christians think you start in grace and then you finish in something else. No, brother. You start in grace. Grace sustains you. 
and you know what? Grace is going to transform your life into something so beautiful. But here's the, here's the key is that you've got to, you've got to resist the, the, the temptation to get out of grace and get into works to get out of grace and, and get into something called religion tradition. You've got to stay in the vein of grace where you allow the spirit to work on you and, and mold you and shape you and where you're weak today, tomorrow, you're going to be strong where you have fallen short in the seasons past. Keep letting grace have his work in you because he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Amen. The minute we think that we can do it apart from his grace is the, is the moment we will fail miserably. But when we learn to lean into his grace, like Paul, when he said, he said, God, remove this thorn. And God said, I'm not going to remove it because my grace is sufficient. There's some of us where we're asking God, God, remove this, take this. I don't want to face this. I don't want to face this persecution. I don't want to face this adversity. I don't want to have to go through this. And God's saying, how else are you going to know that my grace is sufficient unless I show you? How else are you going to know that you can do all things through Christ unless I show you? How are you, how else are you going to know that I can take a broken life and I can make a masterpiece out of it? How else are you going to know unless you let me show you? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? For those watching and those online, perhaps there's someone in here today and you say, listen, I don't, I don't know the Lord, but I hear him calling my name today. And if you want to know him, would you just slip up your hand and wave at me? I see your hands. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Those online. Listen, we're going to pray a prayer in just a second. They're going to put some stuff on the screen and they're online. You're going to see the same thing, but inspired church. Can we pray this prayer together? Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Father, wash me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. I make a decision today to follow you all the days of my life. I confess that you are Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, Inspire Church. Let's celebrate those. Hold on. Don't, don't go anywhere just yet. I, I want to pray for us before we leave. I know sometimes we clap and we're like, okay, we got to get to Papacitos. Just wait one second. They're going to put these on the screen, whether you need salvation, baptism, prayer, and then pastor writes a devotional every day. If you haven't subscribed, please make sure that you do. Your life will be blessed. But I'm going to ask our prayer counselors to please come. How are you so thankful for his grace today? And you know what? I got two minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and say something because I I feel it. Because you can feel it anytime you preach grace. Andrew, aren't you worried that people are going to abuse it? Yes, but Jesus still gives it. Because listen, 
what I believe the, the New Testament teaches us is this. Grace is a better teacher than punishment ever was. Because here's why. If, if I love him and obey him because I'm afraid of what he'll do to me, I don't love him. Punishment is a reality apart from the blood of Jesus. But in the new covenant, God says, yeah, I'll discipline you. I'll correct you. But listen, I'm, I'm, I'm with this in you. I'm going to give you my grace for every weakness, for every shortcoming, for every, for every failure. We're going to walk this out. And God still chooses to give you what you deserve. Why? Because he understands that grace is a better teacher than punishment ever was. Because when you get a revelation of grace, I don't really actually know anyone that got a real revelation of grace that went away and said, hmm, let me go sin some more. Let me go do some more wrong. Let me go run from God more. No, the people that actually caught a revelation of grace that have actually ever received it, it makes your heart so overwhelmed. You say, God, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. I'm so thankful. I want to live love you with all of my heart. I want to give more to you. I want to obey. Because listen, we got to obey. We don't just sit here and say, oh, thank you, God. No. We got stuff to do. You've got to obey. You've got to make decisions. You've got to walk with the Lord. But here's my point. You do it all from grace. You do it all through grace. And God's going to supply all of your needs along the way. Isn't that good news? And so you don't have to be worried day by day. Does God still love me? Has God still called me? Has God still anointed me? Has God still got a purpose for you? Listen, I'm here to emphatically declare over you. If you're a child of God, then God's not done with you. I don't care where you're at. God's not done with you. Amen. But would you do me a favor? As many of you that could, could you please come just join me here at the altars? I want to pray a special prayer over you this morning. Come on, please come join me here. I want to keep this, this custom that we do. Because so I believe in its power. Come on, let's come, let's come with the spirit of worship. Would you just lift up your hands with me? Is there anyone in this in this altar, anyone in this in this building, you're facing what seems to be like an impossible situation? Just slip up your hand and leave it up for me for just a minute. How many of you are battling things, feel, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of worth worthlessness, What's that? feeling like God? For some reason, this this keeps coming to me today. Someone in here is saying, God, am I still called? Because you answered the call 12 years ago and it didn't work out the way you thought it when you're saying, am I still called? God, I, I, I have these desires in my heart, but I feel inadequate. I feel lame. I feel like I can't do what you've called me to do. Just lift up your hands. Those of you who are facing sickness in your bodies. Those of you who are facing family situations, impossible situations, we're going to pray for grace upon grace this morning. Amen. Would you just lift your hands with me? Father God, I, I thank you in this place, God. 
We thank you for your grace, God. Father, not, God, not only that forgave our sin and brought us into covenant with you, God, but your grace that is available to us day by day by day. And Father, I'm praying right now for those who feel weak, God, who, who feel like, God, I, they cannot do what you've called them to do. God, they feel like they can't move. God, they feel, they feel crippled like Mephibosheth. Listen, unless someone carries me, I don't even know what to do. Unless someone helps me, I don't even know what to do. For those who are feeling stuck and trapped, God, I thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient. Because God's grace is the empowerment of Christ to do whatever needs to be done. That means this, if you need healing in your body, there's grace and power for that. If you need strength for the journey, there's grace and there's power for that. If you need, if you need God to just blow a fresh wind in your cells, you say, God, my body is tired. My mind is tired. My soul is tired. You know, God's got grace for that. God's got grace for whatever you lack, whatever you need to do what he's called you to. So, Father, right now, I pray over your people, and I'm praying even right now for a special grace in this service, for healing, for those who are, in fa- who are facing, God, all types of illnesses and diseases. I thank you for your healing touch in this place. Come on, I don't know who that is. So, you, thank you for your healing touch in this place. God, uh, blood uh, issues of the blood and, and certain types of uh, rare cancers. Father God, we thank you, God, that by your stripes we are healed. God, your grace is sufficient for our healing. And so, and lastly, God, for those who just need to feel covered, who feel exposed, who feel just uh, even... Um, I'm sensing just in this room, like even those who, who say, God, I just feel exposed right now. I feel, I'm battling so much shame. God, would you just hide them under the protection of your table? Would you just call their name and say, come sit at my table? God, would you just cover them, Father God, cover them. And you know what? Not on, when, when you're at the table like Mephibosheth, not only does he cover your lameness, he heals it. Over time, he heals it. He restores it. He makes us whole. So, Father God, we thank you for all that you're doing at Inspire Church. I thank you for your spirit that is moving so profoundly in this season. And, Father, we thank you that you're the God of more than enough grace. I want you to say that with me, Inspire Church, as we leave. You're the God of more than enough grace. No, come on, one more time. You're the God of... mm, One more, I got to get some. You're the God of... God bless you, Inspire Church. We'll see you this week. I pray that you have a blessed week, a prosperous week in Jesus' name.